Hi guys, welcome to the Google Podcast. I am Rob Watson and in today's episode, I am speaking with Steph Magenta, who is a certified breathwork facilitator and teacher. She's a shamanic practitioner, licensed bodywork therapist, and also a mindset coach. And something that I really quite resonated with, which was a statement on our website, which is basically she specializes in working with people who are ready and committed to taking their lives to the next level of self-actualization. Something that I promote as much as I can in this podcast with the people I have on show. So it seems like a perfect fit. So thank you, Steph, for coming on today. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested that you picked up on that quote, actually. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I've been, um, I think, you know, breathwork has, has become maybe quite the buzzword past few years, particularly with the likes of, say, Wim Hof and how popular he's become, which he's doing, you know, he's been doing it for decades, but it's almost the past maybe half a dozen years or so he's kind of really ramped up. Um, I'm interested to know how you kind of got into breathwork yourself. Um, yeah, that's a great question um, because because of course people's curiosity has peaked because everybody generally says, well, we all breathe. So what is this thing, breath work? You know, what is conscious breath work? And for me that it, everything is conscious breath work. If we are bringing our conscious awareness to our breathing, it doesn't matter whether it's pranayama, Wim Hof or what I do. So my um, entrance, if you like, into breath work and my discovery of it actually came through Um, It came in a different way than I expected because I was running juice bars at the time. That was my background. I had clean food cafes and juice bars in Manchester. And I'd been on a a trip to Bali. And through that trip, I came across a juice bar called Alchemy. And it was a wonderful place. I absolutely loved it. And I discovered that the one of the it was a cooperatively founded juice bar. And one of the founder members also um, teaches breathwork. And I'd reached out to him because I wanted to know more about juicing and whether there was any opportunities for me to volunteer in his amazing place. Um, Rightly so. They don't take on Western volunteers. They give all the work to Balinese uh, locals. And we just struck up a conversation and I said, oh, tell me more about what you do with breathwork then. And at the time, I was also promoting events, well-being events. And I said, oh, you know, if you're ever in the UK, would you like to come and do something? And I ended up hosting him to come and do a breathwork event, attended that event, of course. And you could say it was one of those pivotal moments in life where everything changes because I suddenly discovered the power of the breath for myself that wasn't the turning point that took me into teaching it but that was my discovery point for sure that's interesting I I like that you mentioned alchemy we were in Bali a few years ago up in Ubud and um, Mm. would regularly visit uh, alchemy and were just like blown away by um, the the quality of the food and um, that's just yeah um, that's interesting Um, (laughs) so because I understand um, you've I saw a post actually on your social media the other day, it just popped up like showing your own history and where you were say 40 years ago and where you are now. Yeah. And it's quite the transformation and I won't give any, I just like kind of, it'd be best for you to maybe, you know, give a little bit of a insight into that because it is, it's quite, um, it's quite a shift. Yeah. Yeah. I, thank you, Rob. I, 
I sometimes, as I think many of us probably do, because we're just getting on with life and I, I underestimate or kind of downplay where I was to where I am now. And I think one of the reasons that I do that is that, you know, um, it feels like it was another lifetime and another me in so many ways. You know, partly that's the journey of aging as we go through life and, and we're constantly, hopefully evolving and trying to become the best version of ourselves possible, or oftentimes just trying to get out of pain and suffering. So that's where I was, yeah, 40 years ago. And from that post, I mean, I'm very open about this because that was part of my background was working in addiction recovery. And often we end up in service to that which we've known. And so, yeah, 40 years ago, I was very lost in heroin addiction, really serious. You know, I mean, given that it was 40 years ago, I was spending 200 pounds a day on drugs. And so can you imagine? I mean, that's a lot of money uh, compared to what it might be now. And of course, I had to find that money from somewhere. So I therefore was immersed in a world of crime um sex work all kinds of things I don't often talk about that and one of the reasons I don't talk about that is because it feels like a little bit more of a political hot potato um because <laughs> the, that whole arena around sexuality and body agency is is fraught with um uh, opinion tension it, it's the big theater of drama where a lot of our issues shame guilt and fear lie so I find it easier to talk about the addiction and the drugs than I do the crime and the sex work and the other aspects of why people become so separated from themselves. Um, but that's in principle what I was at that point, you know, utterly and completely separated from myself. And, you know, we spoke just before we went live with this call about our children and our families. And, I kind of look at my children and I can't imagine any of them being in the kind of position that I was in then because I've communicated with them. Communication is everything to me. It's a huge part of who I am and my work. Um, but I didn't feel as though I had that relationship with my family and I didn't have that skill or ability or resources to navigate my way through some very difficult things, some of which had originated in the family dynamic. And so, yeah, you know, I, there, there I was completely lost. And I suppose you could say that from that point to now, uh, an awful lot of that has been invested in just getting myself to feel better as a human being, to know myself better, to understand who I am, what's important to me in life, and to, to bring value from those experiences to others. And that's something that I feel I can do now. One thing, a word that kind of <laughs> stood out for me, because I can sort of relate to it in my own experiences, when you said like going back in the past was like, you know, feeling numb um, and not really being able to kind of express how you were feeling. Like mm. for my own journey, and I've spoken about some stuff in this podcast about like I just knew that I felt bad, but I couldn't actually get the words out to say what it was, like what it was connected to. It was just a big cloud of mess. Yeah. Um, and so what was kind of the 
you know, it's obviously a long journey, 40 years, but what was the path out of that for you? Mm. Um, that's a really great question because that big cloud of mess <laughs> that you, the way that you put that is something that I resonate with. That I, I'm sure many people who are struggling will resonate with that, <clears throat> that until we have the skills and understanding I like to see it as a it's like a big ball of wool that's completely tightly woven and knotted and, and it's just chaos and simply being willing to notice the feelings and to start to work through them and to start to pick them apart however that comes is what gradually loosens that ball of tension or that ball of basically what you're describing to me is is overwhelm you know, if we can't find the feeling and we can't name the feeling, it's often overwhelm. It's often dissociation and some form of hyper or hypo arousal that we've gone into. And so the way out was actually gradual. You know, it, it wasn't like somebody went, oh, here's breathwork or here's shamanism or, or here's movement therapy. Go and do that and then you'll find your way out. It was a, an amalgamation of just wanting those feelings to stop and and just really being aware that, you know, I don't underestimate where people are with this because we do whatever it takes in order to alleviate that feeling of pain. And many people don't get over that. Many people lose their lives, take their own lives, go into medication, depression, um, high anxiety states, and just never get the resources or the support to get out. And I understand why that happens. So I think, yeah, it's, it's been a gradual process of, of unpicking what was there. And, and when people feel despondent or demoralized or go, well, I'll never get to where you are, I just say, well, yeah, you will if you just keep showing up and you keep doing it because... You know, it, it, I like to quote at the moment Arnold Messi's, uh, that is Lionel Messi, sorry, the footballer. I like to quote his his saying, which is that people say I'm lucky, um, but it took me 14 years and 113 days of hard work to become an overnight success. And I feel that that's so relevant because it's not that I suddenly woke up one day, saw the light and transformed everything. It was you know, 40 years of dedicated, often wavering hard work <laughs> to just begin to clear the path. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really refreshing as well and important that you do talk about that past as well. Because I think sometimes people put on this perception through their social media channels and life as if they've maybe not had you know, it's, they're just wired this way. And, you know, this is how I'm like this entrepreneur or super healthy and got these great relationships. But I think there's real, <laughs> I think there's real strength in um, being vulnerable and yeah. authentic and people eventually see through that other side of stuff and they get, you know, the, that's what they want now at this time, because we all have those times and feelings that are, things are just, life just feels like such a mess and you can be a great example of that and 40 years shows that people yeah it it, it takes time you're not going to turn your life around you know you could pick up the most amazing book and see that's the way but it could take you years to adopt that like that way of being and mm. to see things and to release to sh i think of it as like shedding layers of skin 
you know, that we, we build up just, you know, we get conditioned in certain ways, certain things happen to us and we've got all these different layers and then we see life through, like we've both got glasses on. It's like all these different tints like some, and some of us have got so many different tints, like so many different belief systems mm. of stuff. And it takes us such a, t- a while to, and I think that for me, the important thing is just, is to be open, totally open-minded to possibilities. Because I think sometimes people might hear breath work or even like sort of tapping and, and other things where people kind of tend to dismiss and say, you know, well, where's the, you know, even even stuff which is like scientifically reviewed people are just not having any of it and they're just not open to it. And I think we're seeing at the moment what we've gone through the past 12 months. Um, Like I look at, you know, it's been generally, you know, it's been a real wake up call for humanity, but it's also been, um, it's kind of showing his system and it's light and showing what doesn't seem to work. And it's such like so much fear wrapped up in it. And thing that's really taken me and I've empowered I've found on myself, um, um, on my own kind of journey of, um, you know, becoming a better version of myself, is it so empowering when you hear about these techniques, breath work or other things, and and you see the community aspect around it as well, and you're uplifting, and you don't, the fear narrative kind of just fades away Mm. as you're kind of taking, you're like, wow, I've got, like, whether it's meditation as well, it's like, no, I've got the tools within me now to to you know walk a different path and that's the that's what we're seeing i think at the moment we're kind of seeing there's different train tracks at the moment and it's like which which train do you want to get on what yeah. what, what sort of future do you want to live in yeah. and i choose freedom i choose empowerment i choose you know health um mm. and there's another version that's getting painted i think at times which i'm kind of well okay that's showing itself up but i'm not kind of um I've kind of gone off. I do this all the time on these on these interviews. I just like ramble, <laughs> ramble for a bit. Um, I like um, your rambling. Yeah, I think some you just gotta go with what comes up sometimes. Um, yes. Um, so you know, addiction's such a big one, isn't it? I've had someone else on my podcast, um, Brian Penny, an Irish guy, amazing. He had, he had a fifteen year heroin addiction. And he actually wow. tapped it all back into when he was a, a newborn baby. They did an operation procedure on him. And back in the 70s or 80s, they didn't used to give children um, any anesthesia or anything. So they just thought they didn't feel it. But as we know, like the body keeps the score. Yeah. And he had he was had such trauma in his system that that's the thing that led him to heroin because he just needed something to take away the pain. I'm sure that was the same for you, like heroin. You know, people don't choose to become a heroin addict as such, but it's just, um, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, there's so much that you've said in in these last few minutes, Rob, that that I want to speak into. Um, The first one is this, you described it as all of the different layers or lenses that we put on, but in shamanic practice, we call that armoring. So we, we begin to armor the heart. So de-armoring is the process of, of pulling back those layers and being willing to expose this beautiful, tender heart. And this is also linked into what you said about authenticity, because for me, vulnerability is a superpower. Because when we realize that we can allow ourselves to be authentic to be vulnerable it gives others permission to be the same and it smashes through that illusion of of the stuff that you talked about before which is this idea of perfection which is touted in social media everywhere 
And a friend of mine made me laugh recently because she just signed up for this business coaching course. And she said, there's all these like women on it. And they're just like, she said, they're so beautiful. And there's pictures of them leaping into their husband's arms on a beach and going, I just took 15K in sales this morning and I haven't even had my morning juice. And, and she said, who are these people? Don't they stub their toe when they get out of the shower? Don't they find that there's another bill that they don't want to open that's just come through the letterbox? And just as I was laughing about this, I stubbed my own toe as I got out of the shower. And I was like, yeah, you know, let's be real. Life sometimes, it, it isn't always this perfect picture. However, there is a lens that we can choose to see things through, which also links into what you were saying about uh, this train. Which train will you choose to get on? Will you choose those thoughts that really do not support your growth, your healing? Will you start to develop the tools that allow you to recognize what's happening in your own system? So where those traumas might be lodged and stuck, what the reasons are that you might be reaching for you know, alcohol or busyness or porn or whatever people's addictions are. And none of those things in and of themselves are necessarily bad things. But when they've got us in their grip, of course, then they become less healthy. The work that I do, the majority of value seems to come through that sense of community. And we build community through resonance. You know, we, we start to realize that we identify with something somebody is saying or that somebody else does understand our struggle. They do understand our perspective and it isn't all rosy all the time. You know, and I, I make a, a big thing now of sharing through my work that it's daily practice that changes things. You know, I, I've woken up this morning. There's a few challenges that have landed into my orbit. What am I going to do with those? Do I sit down, become still, take a breath, feel them? Okay, what's activated in me? What's the underlying panic or fear or concern? Or, and, and is that true? And I start to take it apart more because I've got the skills now to be able to do that through developing the practice, through committing to consistency, even when it, and I do have resistance like everybody else. You know, I, I shared again in my Instagram story last week, somebody had put a funny thing up about my morning routine. And it was this list of amazing things. And on the next page, she'd said what it's often like. And it was the opposite of instead of it being wake up, meditate, green juice, it was wake up, drag myself to the kitchen for a coffee, eat too many croissants. And it was just like, yeah, this is what we all do. You know, I, I mean, maybe some people don't. Maybe there's exceptional humans out there who've really gone beyond that. Um, but mostly, I think life is about developing tools so that what you're describing about the man that you interviewed before, um, and, and we don't always know where the roots of addiction and suffering come from. There's certainly our genetic history and our programming and our conditioning through school, through family, through whatever else. But there may also be other embodied traumas that we don't really understand the effect of. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, so I th one thing I think you touched on there, um, or like a touch on is you talked about, you know, when you notice something like, you know, you might wake up and you have, you know, some challenges come up. Often the thing can be for us is that we want to then run away from those feelings. Mm 
Yeah. And it can be like, like I notice sometimes when I'm working, if I'm working and I'm getting frustrated doing something, I just want to get up and go to the, go and open the fridge. It's like, yeah. and I, I want to go and get a bit of chocolate and I can, good thing is now I'm catching myself now going, no, hang on. What I'm getting frustrated with now is it's not just going to go away. I need to just work through it and, you know, find that bit of space. But I know my patterns. It's like, you know, I can be like, I just want to go and get something because you just don't want to, you want to numb the feeling you want to get you want to move past it um yeah it's intense isn't it it's intense and and, you know I am typically a runner you know I I ran away from home at 15 I realized I couldn't survive at that point but then I ran away at 17 and I never went back and and I've run from a lot of emotional discomfort in my life um and now my commitment is to not do that it's to really feel those feelings and there are times when I may assuage those feelings by doing exactly what you've said. I'll go to the fridge and get chocolate, but these days it's raw chocolate or sugar-free or, you know, it's kind of, and I don't mean sugar-free as in it's full of the other aspartame and stuff. It's actually good quality cacao. Or, so I'm like, I still find my comforts, but they don't do my body the harms that they may have done. And then I go, oh, you're back in the fridge. What are you, what are you not wanting to feel here? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I, I think we're human beings. Like th- yeah. this is, you know, it's an interesting journey because we have this cognition and this huge brain to to support us to work things out, and then in the heart, which is our guide, if you like, and our, our barometer of feeling, we disconnect because we've learned that it's not safe to feel, or it's uncomfortable to feel. So you mentioned the heart then. Um, do you find then uh, breath work is um, a real gateway to moving from the head down into the heart? Yeah, it can be. Um, for many people who first experience the kind of dynamic forms of breath work, it can be very difficult to get out of the head because we're more accustomed to being in there than we are in the body or in the heart. Um, so my practice very much in- encourages a deepening of that relationship with the body and more awareness to felt sensations and to um, the physicality of what's moving through us. And then once we begin to build up that awareness and that trust, I think it's easier then for us to open the heart and to feel the feelings. But I see over and over and over in my work, people access these places of deeply lost in trauma locked in trauma, sorry. And you mentioned The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, which is one of our core books on our breathwork training. Um, The body really does keep the score. And breathwork is one route amongst many to open the gateway to feeling. And another book that we use on our training that I'll give a nod to here is, is Giten Tonkoff of Biodynamic Breathwork. His book, Feel to Heal, is very much about that journey of yeah, and we have to feel it in order to heal it. And it's much easier often to continue to suppress the feeling. But breath work, yeah, I mean, literally, as, as you breathe and the lungs open, you're massaging the heart, you know, because the left lung sits over the heart, so it's smaller than the right lung. And we breathe and then the heart is working. So the body is relational, our inner landscape is relational to everything that we put in, whether that's food, whether that's environment, whether that's thoughts, whether that's emotions, relationships, everything is responsive. It's incredible. 
It feels in many ways like we have to be retaught how to breathe. Um, you know, it's like we haven't been told how to breathe. We and Most of us live having these very shallow breaths, just breathing up into the chest, mm. mouth, mouth open as well, which just brings more stress into mm. the system. Um, I, I saw a another post that you did as well. It's something that caught my eye was around um, helping with um, sleep at night. And people might think it's quite unusual to stick some tape across your mouth. Um, <laughs> but I've been doing it for the past year. Um, and I think what it is, is um, it's interesting because as we touched on about uh, children and people know that I've recently become a father, um, our little one, when she was first few weeks of her life, um, she had a tongue tie. And mm. because of that, the way she was sleeping, she was sleeping with her mouth wide open. Um, and she wasn't able to eat as well and stuff like that. And then as soon as that, we got the tongue tie rectified, she started to mouth started to close when she was sleeping. She was mm. sleeping longer. She was uh, sleeping de- deeper into her belly. And I wonder whether maybe I had a tongue tie or something when I was much younger and those things weren't kind of recognized. So I would be in my, a mouth, um, um, a sleeper mouth open. And I would, I would literally wake up in the middle of the night panicked because I'd just been sleeping with my mouth all night and I would, I'd wake up absolutely panicked, like what's going on. Um, and then since I've been using the tape on, on it, um, my wife thinks I look ridiculous. Like, you know, I've got this white, white tape on my mouth, um, but it's helped. It's helped tremendously. Could you, could you touch on that? And I'm sure it ties, ties in with everything that, um, that you're doing. Yeah, I, I can Rob. And, you know, I'm a massive advocate of, of, retraining the body into nose breathing because um the body's already perfectly designed in general unless there's a physiological reason like the one you've just described with your daughter and possibly yourself but the body's wonderfully designed to get this balance of carbon dioxide oxygen nitric oxide and other things which deliver the things that we need into the blood to our vital organs um but this habitual mouth breathing where, where our mouth is just, you know, either when we're asleep or even awake for many people, um, we don't get the nitric oxide that we need through the nasal passages, which is what helps deliver the oxygen into the vital organs across the blood brain barrier. So this dance and this balance with the carbon dioxide that's in our body, which is needed, necessary to help that um, oxygen delivery. Um, becomes limited and restrictive. The nose has all these filters built in, so it's filtering out pollutants. And when we sleep with our mouth open, typically that's where there is sleep apnea problems, snoring problems, uh, less deep sleep, as you say, waking up kind of with this awareness, dry mouth. And it can create long-term changes and problems both in the mouth and oral hygiene is a really big factor in mental hygiene, gut health really big factor in mental hygiene again everything relational and so this mouth tape which I really love because I, I mean I get the same it's like I, I tend to wait until I'm I've fallen asleep and if I'm with my partner you know the lights are out the covers are on put the tape on you know because it, it does look funny and when I first started using it it felt really scary to me because the first night I put it on I had this kind of inbuilt panic response I felt as though somebody was covering my mouth and because that's an issue for me and that in itself causes a triggered memory in my body oh you know it was really really difficult I felt panicky I had old memories surfacing 
And I stuck with it. You know, you can use little bits just down the middle. James Nestor was talking about that on a recent podcast, and he wrote the book Breathe, which very much advocates retraining the breath. And so you can start gradually just building up an awareness of what is needed in the breath so that when you go into the practices like the open mouth dynamic conscious connected breathing, which we don't advocate all the time, we advocate them for controlled amounts of time for the purpose of transformational healing. Once you understand functional breathing, then you can go into adventuring more into the other states of consciousness because the more dynamic types of breathing are actually affecting our physiology as well. And they are switching off typically our default mode networks because they're actually restricting the oxygen supply to the brain. And you wouldn't think that, would you? Because you think, oh, if my mouth's open and I'm breathing, you know, for 40 minutes or an hour, which is what we might do in practice, I'm taking in loads more oxygen. And yes, your blood's becoming more oxygenated, but your CO2 levels drop dramatically. And so this restricts the amount of oxygen that goes across that blood-brain barrier. And the default mode networks begin to switch off. And what the default mode networks are is this place of habit forming in the brain, you know, because we've got these different aspects to our brain and where memory is formed and what happens in development. And it's fascinating because you've got a little one you know, and actually this prefrontal cortex, which is the bit that applies logic to situations, isn't fully developed till we're 25 years old, which is incredible. So everything at first is from this reptilian brain, the mammalian down at the bottom, which is survival and basic instinct. And then if that's interrupted, that affects the limbic brain, which is the emotional center, And so, again, it's feeding into. And then by the time we get to the prefrontal cortex, if these two things have been out of balance, of course, we're going to put a perspective on something that relates to the world is not safe or my emotions can't be expressed. And so the breath for me is intrinsically linked to all of that. Any conscious practice, you know, meditation and how we begin to create neuroplasticity by stilling the brain, by switching off those networks, by calming the body, allowing the parasympathetic part of our nervous system, the rest and restore to come back in. Because I think we're all really living in our sympathetic nervous systems a lot in these days and times. There's very little space around our feelings because we have social media, we've got mobile phones, we're permanently available, we're getting little red notifications all the time. Email comes in, bing! Notice comes in, bing! We didn't have that when I was a kid. You'd have to walk five miles down the road to the nearest phone box if you were on holiday in the middle of nowhere. And then you'd you know, you'd ring your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your friend, your mate, whatever, and you'd say something and it might be a little bit antsy or not what you wanted, and you'd have to sit with that for another week till you got home. Whereas now it's just everything is just there. And I speak to so many people who consider, especially young people, that they have some form of ADHD, not a diagnosis as such, but they they admit that they are unable to focus on something for more than a moment because of this constant firing of our neural pathways into very quick, information so i think 
any practice that helps us slow that down has got to be good for us. Yeah, 100%. You mentioned, um, yeah, when that, we're generally in that fight or flight mode and it might have served us when we were back in the jungle um, going back in times gone by when there were, maybe a lion was chasing after us. Um, but to be in that state all the time over, you know, normal, well, I say normal, the way we live at the moment isn't really, well, it's normal, but it's not natural. Um, and it makes me think about the last, you know, last 12 months has really um, spiked a lot of this for a lot of people. I think, you know, mental health has gone off the charts, particularly mm. young, young people and women. Um, my, my wife um, is training to be a counsellor. And one thing that came up for her is supposedly um, it used to be for, um, I think it's postnatal depression used to be one in seven mums. It's, it's now one in two since the start of the pandemic. You know, wow. that's such a shift and wow. same thing it's gone up in dads as well um and then i think it's half a million children now have, have, have increased in terms of mental health issues and stuff just having all the kind of what we thought was and like i know the way we've lived has been a bit out of balance for sure but people had some sort of level of normality to it they had some sort of consistency and then it all got kind of pulled away from them you know First of all, you know, the biggest fear last year was, are we going to run out of food? Is people going to get food? People were hoarding toilet rolls, which I found <laughs> was hilarious, to be honest. I did hear, though, someone say that people were getting the big bags of toilet rolls because it was something for them to hug. And they felt they felt like it was protecting them by holding this big, <laughs> big 32-pack of toilet rolls. And I was just laughing, thinking, it's okay, we've got plenty of toilet um newspaper lying around if that's the <laughs> um but but it's interesting I think we're living in this time now where what you're doing and what other people are doing in the breath work um arena is so important and so needed and thankfully there's people like you here ready to support people as mm. the you know either looking to overcome what might seem simple challenges or really extreme ones and it can it's not doesn't have to be someone doesn't have to be in your kind of history and really gone into the depths it can just be generally people are having challenges in relationship or you know work issues or money issues or anything that can just bring them more to the present moment because yeah. what i realize is that you know we're always trying to get somewhere but we're never actually here now. yeah yeah you know, always thinking the next thing. You know, I can catch myself all the time. I'm feeding my daughter this morning. And after that, I'm thinking, of, and I'm already thinking about the next three, four things. I'm like, no, just be present Why I'm giving my food, some food to my daughter. The next mm. thing will unfold in that moment when it needs to. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, it's the way we've been habitually, um, you know, conditioned, I think. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, presence is everything to me. And... It's funny because now that I'm so much older and I can look back on my life, I can realize, you know, one of my all time favorite quotes again was from the Pirates of the Caribbean, where, where Jack Sparrow says to Orlando Bloom's character, if you were waiting for the perfect moment, mate, that was it. And I just go, <laughs> these things land in my in my awareness. And I just go, wow, you know, as I look back and I was thinking about this the other day in relation to my my mum, because it was the anniversary of her death. And and I was just like, wow, these people who've been in our lives and who've left their imprint and and who 
we've had those experience with, experiences with, and we talked a little bit about my past and my background and how I said I feel like a different person. But in the moment where I, I feel as though I've now become a conscious creator of my experiences and of my life, and if I'm a conscious creator, then what am I bringing to that consciousness? What am I going to choose to be present to? And, we're, you know, I'm as guilty as you are and as guilty as the next person is of, of losing that connection to the present moment because this is it. But we are, we are programmed to be waiting for the moment when we have enough or we are enough or we're doing enough. And that, I think, comes from, you know, industrial revolution and manipulation about productivity and this sense of, you know, how many of us have a message that we are lazy if we're not being really productive or we're not working hard? You know, I'm, people say to me like, oh, wow, you're always busy. But actually, my busyness, I have a lot of space around what I do a lot. And it's taken me quite a long time because I sometimes feel I live like a retired person. My, my partner, relatively new relationship, about six months in now, says, I've never known anybody who works as hard as you do. Like, seriously, Steph. But it's just, and my daughter says that to me as well. <laughs> and it's just like, I have to consistently tell myself it's okay to stay in bed for an extra hour. Or, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm not doing a nine to five where I'm having to respond to somebody else's demands. But my own demands have taken over. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just like, okay, just slow down. Be in this moment because this moment is all we ever have. Yeah, it reminds me of like the you know Jack Nicholson film the Titan. You know, this is as good as it gets, and mm. um, and it's interesting because I it's a little bit of a paradox sometimes because I think you know you talk about it, and that's why I mentioned that quote at the beginning about us becoming better versions of ourselves. So for me, it's kind of acknowledging who we are now and saying the version of who we are right now is perfect. That doesn't mean that we can't chart a course to realize that there's there's better versions of us still to come. And I think it's Matthew McConaughey talks about this. Oh, I love him. <laughs> He's incredible, isn't he? Absolutely yeah. incredible. He's doing the rounds and all the podcasts at the moment. Um, Is he? Oh. Um, and he, um, he talks about how he always thinks in the future in terms of his, his a version of him in 10 years' time mm. and getting messages and, and, and him, that version of him in the future, pulling him forward and yeah. saying, keep going, trust in what you're doing. Yeah. Because I came across, um, it was Eckhart Tolle talking about it the other day, and he had a friend that, and his friend said, I've never failed at anything in my life because I've never tried at anything. And was so scared of um, failure. And I think, mm. again, we're conditioned into that from early childhood of going to school, right or wrong, exams, pass, fail. No one wants mm. to be last. Everyone would like to be first. It becomes mm. a bit of an ego thing, but also a competitive thing. But the real growth in life comes through the challenges. It comes through the failures. And when we recognize that failures aren't even failures, they're just alert. It's learning. Um, um, again, I don't know where, where that came from, but um, is anything, you got any reflections on that? Well, yeah. I mean, we're extracting the wisdom because you were talking about the perfect moment. That's the context that we were in. And, and, when you when you start to realize that this duality thinking of what is good and what is bad, what is success and what is failure is all illusion. And that we, you know, we 
we reflect nature. Nature is never always light, always dark, always summer, always winter. It changes and evolves. You know, the grass is growing and then the grass is dying off. The leaves are dropping and then they're abundant. And and yet we have this idea that we're supposed to be permanently in this space of growth or permanently in this space of joy. And actually, it's like coming back to presence again. How do we go, okay, so I'm now experiencing a feeling that is less pleasant to me. What am I going to do with this? What do I make it mean? And we begin to be able to, I mean, some of my most profound lessons in life have definitely come from struggles, definitely come from what we might perceive as failure or disappointment or, or unmet longing. Because then I get the opportunity to say, what do I make this mean? Where does this land in me? How can I stay in this place of, you know, that saying what somebody else thinks about you is none of your business is so true because that's the other part of it, that if some of those lessons come through conflict with another, how do we look at our own place in that, find a healthy boundary and grow so that we don't keep repeating the patterns if they do belong to our own triggers and our own projections and perceptions, but also to self-love enough to know how we can find good boundaries and grow from it. So yeah, it's it's for me, it's about stopping that kind of idea that, you know, it's sad when I hear stories like that about Eckhart Tolle's friend, I've never failed at anything because I've never tried. I want to, and I'm pretty sure that I will, because, you know, this is how I already feel, that I would rather go to my deathbed regretting the things that I had done and got wrong than regretting the things that I'd never done. Because what we don't know, we don't know what's possible if we're not willing to experience. Um, yeah, and, and this beautiful, simple thing that you said about Matthew McConaughey, um, seeing himself 10 years down the line, what version of myself do I want to call in? If that comes from an energy that isn't attached to not being enough right now, but rather it comes from an energy of aspiring to be greater than I am right now. I aspire to be more humble, more integral, more authentic, more compassionate, more giving, all of those beautiful elevated emotions and qualities of a human being. Then I think that's a great thing. And I know because when I look back, even I was thinking about that this morning, actually, I was contemplating a situation that I was in um, about three years ago that was really challenging for me. And I was really looking at what could I have done differently? How did I respond? Were my responses appropriate? Some of them. No, perhaps I could. I can imagine that I could have done that with more grace. I could have done this with more sensitivity. And the more I'm willing to do that, I have no control over what somebody else who was maybe a party in that experience thinks or feels or when they're ready or if they're ready to do that. I've got no control over that. But I can only look at my own part in that and learn from that so that I can become a better version of myself. You mentioned then about um, you know, looking back at times gone by where we may have not approached something in the best possible light. Do you have times then, or maybe not so now, where or how you know the feeling of regret 
like sometimes people like I'm I think back to some stuff and think oh my god I can't I can't believe I did that or how close it was for being 10 times worse and I'm like oh my that could have turned into this do you have any techniques or is any things that you know help you overcome any feelings of kind of regret in life um I don't do regret actually I really genuinely don't because if I'm living true to what we're talking about and I'm not doing duality thinking, then why would I regret what's given me an amazing opportunity to learn? Um, and so rather than go into any regret around something, I will evaluate and think about how I could do it differently and what would I do differently? But the truth is, that we only do what we can in that moment, given what we know, given who we are. And then that's where the self-love and the self-compassion and the self-forgiveness come in. Because it's like, wow, I can see now that there may have been another perspective on this or there may be another way to look at this. But I couldn't see that then. And so therefore I need to be kind to myself and just go, right, well, that's great because you've worked out what you wouldn't do if, if that experience ever came around again. Reminds me of it. Is it one of Jesus's teachings? Is you know, it's like forgive them, Lord, for they do not know. And it's because in that place where you are, you know, someone used this term once. He's like, it's okay because all you're doing back then, you're just collecting data. You were, <laughs> you, were, you were collecting information, and it's okay. It was valuable. It was part mm -hmm. of your growth. You needed to experience them times to slingshot slot you to where you are now. Because if you wouldn't have gone to the depths that you did forty years ago through the addictions and the other things that you spoke about, maybe that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be where you are now. And it's interesting because who you were back then, you couldn't have imagined that you would be doing this, could you, in 40 years? No. Setting up juice bars, <laughs> being a successful entrepreneur, writing books. This journey that we go on allowing us to, you know, that as you yeah. said, we, we would never have imagined that we would be the people that we are now. And I have no idea, Rob, who I'm going to be in a month's time or a year's time or a decade's time. It's exciting. Because, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And because I don't even know whether I'll see a decade or a year or a month, because let's not take life for granted. Yeah. So for me, every breath, is precious it's an offering it's a prayer it's a gratitude because you know in the number of breaths that i take in a day in the number of moments that i'm present to what's moving through me then you know i'm grateful that i've had the opportunity to have those breaths and to have that moment and and some people you know i say this often some people think that's that's naive or it's kind of what light workers do or think and that they're ignoring the dark side but it's not because it's like a diamond that's been carved from you know the depths of life suffering where i i'm fully aware of all of that side of life and i could easily choose to step into aspects of that at any moment, either the thinking or the, or the situations, or I could let myself go there. You know, when things are difficult, I could let myself self-soothe through drugs or alcohol or, or, or something else, or, you know, I could, I could run from painful feelings, but I don't want to do that, you know? And, and, Somebody said, I was listening to something the other day. Actually, it was about David Wolf, And it was on a podcast I listened to called the, uh, Wake the Fake Up by Shervin um, Jaffarea. 
And he said that David David Wolf drums everywhere he goes. I didn't know this about him. He's always drumming. He's drumming on surfaces. He's, he's drumming on people. He's drumming on whatever he can find. And that Shervin had said to him, like, why do you, why do you do that? You know, you, like I notice that you do this all the time. And he said, I'm setting it up for my next life because they say that you bring forward with you the habits that you create in this lifetime. And I was just like, well, regardless of what one's beliefs are about reincarnation or anything else, I just like the idea that, you know, maybe we're not something in this lifetime, but that we can do our best to become something even better, either in this lifetime or in the next lifetime. You know, what, what, what habits can I build that will then come through if I reincarnate as, you know, who? whoever I reincarnate again, I'd like to have a pleasant, easy life thinking that I'd acquired good merit. And a lot of the Buddhist teachings, that's the foundation of them, that we acquire merit as we go through life, that we burn through our karma by being able and willing to feel and experience those difficult parts and change our relationship with them. Because the easiest thing is to project it out at other people to make other people responsible for our experience of life. And I simply feel that that's not true. I am responsible for my experience of life. Certainly now that I'm in choice, that doesn't negate the dreadful situations that people find themselves in where they have no choice or very little choice or they're, they're enslaved or they're in war zones or, you know, there's genuine victimhood. And then there is, the emotional drama that can play out where we go, oh, I haven't realized that I've got a choice in how I'm thinking here. And I say that with compassion as well, because it's not always easy for people to change their mindset when they're experiencing, you know, what might be biochemical dysfunctions in the body. But even finding the smallest thought that supports and helps is going to help on some level or other. Yeah, well said. I noticed on your, um, cause I think this can tie into some of the things to help people that you're very much into biohacking and neuroscience for health. Um, is there any particularly, obviously the breath work is part of the biohacking, but is there any other techniques that you tend to do where you find that can support people on the awakening journey and healing journey? Um, anything along those lines? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this recently because again, that's a bit of a buzzword biohacking. And what is it? And I suppose for me, what it is, is pattern interruption. So that's where it relates to the neuroscience, because if we interrupt the patterns, which we can do through, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm not going to have a sugary breakfast cereal. I'm going to try and have fruit and yogurt. And then we do that consistently. And then our our nutritional balance and our gut health changes, you could call that biohacking the system, actually. You know, it's just about consciously choosing new habits and behaviors. And of course, a habit is deeply ingrained a lot of the time. So, um, so yeah, practices, back to practices, whether that's breath work, whether that's sitting still and becoming conscious, whether that's fully embodying the moment that you described before, feeding your daughter, whether that's choosing to drink more clean water every day or choosing a green juice instead of a, a Diet Coke. Um, it's really my friend Richard who runs um, Enriched Superfoods 
he does a lot of things. He was once very unhealthy. He was overweight. He, he ended up with a cancerous tumor in, uh, in around his shoulder, which he healed naturally. And he changed his lifestyle quite dramatically. He now has a superfood company. And he says that everything that he does where he's ingesting these superfoods, these medicinal mushrooms or, or any of the others that he uses is an investment in his future. So he's, what I don't know what he is now. I'm probably doing him a disservice on some level. I think he's in his mid thirties, but he's investing in his future self, the one that you talked about that can that you can aspire to and get. You know, what do I want to be in ten years? Who do I want to be? And I was like, God, I wish I'd known that when I was his age, because I know that my liver is deeply, deeply congested. I know that it carries the imprint of you know eight years of hardcore heroin addiction. And everything else that went into my system, whether that was methadone or Valium or alcohol or anything else to help ease that suffering and that pain, that's a lot of crap to clear out of the body. But if I do one tiny part of that by interrupting those patterns, then I'm creating better health. So I guess the, the neuroscience is the thing that that I'm interested in, in relation to the breath, but also just, I've just actually signed up for a diploma in neuropsychology because I'm, I want to understand more how everything is firing in all of these relational systems in the body so that we can, and when I talk about control, it's not in this power over kind of a way where, you know, we see stuff at the moment about GMO and, and gene interruption and, and people wanting to almost take control over the experience of being human. It's not that. It's more the awareness that actually in order to, because I think our consciousness is, is infinite and super potential. You know, there's so much potential in it. We don't actually need all that other stuff that's out there that's kind of maybe a distortion of this version of ourselves that can be used against us. You know, if I'm drinking a green juice in the morning and I'm retraining my breath, how is that going to be used against me? But if my food is sprayed with genome, you know, gene-modifying kind of uh, toxins and chemicals, then there's an issue there for me. So it's really about sitting with this. Is, is this inner power, inner authority, or is this external power for gain that isn't so healthy? So I'm sorry, it's a slight deviation from what you asked about biohacking and neuroscience, but basically it's for me, it's about creating optimum health and, and you teach what you need to learn. And so my first venture into juice bars, which was what, 20 years ago now, was because I needed to get healthy. I needed to clear my liver. I needed to clear my body. I didn't know that juicing would do that for me. But when I started to drink juices a lot, I discovered them first of all in New York City. I felt good. And I was like, oh, wow, I stopped getting as many colds. I used to get hay fever. That stopped. Like I noticed things were shifting in my body from changing what I put in there. And then, of course, because 85% of our serotonin is produced in the gut, which affects our mental health, I noticed that, and I really notice it now, that if I was eating too much sugar, too much wheat, too much dairy, too much junk food or processed food, I felt unwell emotionally and mentally as well as physically. So that biohacking, that aspect of neuroscience is more about 
okay, what can I do in order to really radically improve my health? And although I sound like a conspiracy theorist when I say this, is, is you know, I believe that the system has an investment, whether that's through ignorance or manipulation is up for debate, in keeping people sick because there's huge money in pharmaceuticals. There's huge money in those kind of industries. You know, why do they want to patent things like echinacea? Why do they want to start making CBD illegal so that they can take control? <laughs> anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. No, I, um, I resonate with a lot of that as well. And I think at the moment things are, um, yeah, things are getting cranked up a little bit at the moment. Um, but then that's an opportunity for more of us to do the things that you're talking about to take more control of our life you know we've still got the options you know and i love that and i've always felt like that i'm making an investment like i eat organic food because i'm making an investment in my future mm. you know the 60 year old version of me is saying thank you for eating organic for the past 30 years you know and it's thank you for meditating thank you for not working so hard you know thank you for <laughs> um doing your podcast you know those things which i'm doing you know it's like and the more it's, it's tapping to that same thing, that Matthew McConaughey thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, you're almost thinking ahead. Some ways, I think someone said this, like if you think ahead to your, to your deathbed and then you can kind of like imagine how the things that you, you still want to do in your life and what's it going to take, what's going to take these habits and these techniques and these practices to shift your mindset, get you in a good place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's um it's really interesting. It's fascinating. I understand like time is like zipping away. So I'd like to know then just oh yeah, <laughs> we can we can. I think we talked about maybe doing a little breathwork meditation. Um, but before that, I'd just like to. So you're actually a breathwork facilitator and you run workshops, retreats. Can you tell us a bit more about that? In case people are interested in one finding out about breathwork or actually becoming a teacher themselves. Yeah, sure. Um, so initially, I became a breathwork facilitator through my own training, and then. Um, I co-founded um, a breathwork training school, which has been running for a couple of years now with my co-teacher, who is a doctor of functional medicine and chiropractic based in the US. Um, I'm here in the UK. And we do a seven month training for people who want to consider how they can bring, bring breathwork into other people's lives for health and healing. Um, mostly people can find me on my website, stephmagenta.com or integrative hyphen breath.com and there's lots of stuff there my my instagram um, is also at integrative breath and that's very active i enjoy that because i like the visuals of being able to give information and share stories like the ones you have mentioned earlier um, and i'm constantly it's my passion it's my absolute passion and joy to do this work. And, and somebody said the other day, you know, if you won the lottery, what would you be doing? And I said, exactly what I'm doing now. I would just have a little bit more freedom to take time off, rest more, travel more, pay somebody else to support me with the things that I want to outsource or that I'm less good at, you know, but I would do what I'm doing now because I see the power of the breath and the power of uh, changing one's mindset and the changes it can affect in people's lives and it does good. And so there we go. There's a nice link into your do good podcast. You know, it does good because healthy healed people create a healthy healed world. 
this is one of my sayings that some I just did a podcast with a friend last week and she she um lifted that quote and put it out on her marketing and I was like oh that was that was quick um but that's my why you know and most of these big businesses and and ethical businesses and things know their why they know what they do what they do they're not just about selling their product and for me it's like when I stopped chasing the money and I just started to do what I love and understand why I do it then the money came anyway because people we we you know we'll feel people's vibration we'll feel people's passion and heart anyway so that that's where people can find me and you know in terms of this breathing practice that you mentioned I mean it would be fair it's a fairly short you know we can just drop into a spontaneous breath awareness yeah yeah, please. And let's do. see what happens. Yeah. Okay. So there are many different ways that we can breathe, um, Robin, to anybody who's listening. Um, coherence breath, which comes from the Heart Math Institute, is one way, which is super simple. And it's just an equal in breath in and in breath out through the nose in generally. And that really calms the nervous system. But whenever I start an event or a retreat or, or a meeting, usually I'll start by dropping in. So let's do that. And if people are comfortable who are listening, just lowering your gaze. And as we lower our gaze, we find that the less we see, the more we see, the more we feel. And just start by noticing your breath as it enters and leaves the body. And not changing that awareness, not altering the breath, but just noticing. Is it mainly in the chest? Are your ribs opening and closing? Is your belly soft and loose or are you holding tension in those muscles? These ideals about bodies mean that we have learned to hold our bellies in. So on an out breath, letting those muscles just go. And finding what feels comfortable for you. Breathing in through the nose. And then either out through the nose or through gently parted lips. Notice that passage of breath. Notice the delicacy of the cool air coming into the nose from your environment. And the places in which we sit as we breathe are the result of the choices that we have made in life. So as you begin to develop your inner awareness, softly holding an outer awareness of where you are in the world and what's placed you there. And deepening that in-breath, visualizing the breath, traveling down the spine with every inhale, this cerebrospinal fluid, a communication highway, as you let go, 
giving your breath back into the world. Maybe gently holding the inquiry, what do I wish to give in this world? And even if you don't know the answer to that on a deeper level, simply allowing your outbreath to be a generous offer to the planet, to the world at this time. And allowing the body to soften and settle into the moment, feeling your sit bones connected with the chair or the surface that you're sitting on. Feeling some gratitude to this body, the mystery of the breath and the heartbeat. always in a dance with one another. And how can you let go a little bit more of any tension on each outbreath? What do you need to find in your body that builds a sense of safety? We all need safety as a route to let go, to heal. And just follow the breath for a few more moments in this easy passage in and out. Receiving as you breathe in and giving as you breathe out or letting go. Extending your awareness back to the sounds in your space. What can you hear? What are you aware of? taking that awareness as far as you can. Maybe you can hear traffic on the roads. Connecting with the breath to this movement in life, movement in the body. And very gradually beginning to let go with a conscious, audible exhale. Moving the spine and the body a little, just bringing yourself back into a more ordinary awareness as we gently open the eyes to reconnect. And so I go into this yummy space whenever I do breathing practices like that, but um, it's not always for, easy for people to drop in. And that's again, a practice. Um, but simple practices like that can really be supported by present moment awareness or in present moment awareness, you know, as a meditation, if you like, on the breath, on the magnificence of the breath. 
for anybody who's seen anybody take their last breath. It's deeply humbling because this is what animates the body, the spirit. It's, you know, the word for breath in many indigenous cultures is spirit. Inspire in spirit. This is what the breath is to me. Thank you, Rob. Beautiful. I very much and very, very much enjoyed our conversation and that um, that little guided breathwork meditation. Um, one thing that just pops in my head, actually, just before I came up to do this, my wife said, oh, can you ask them this question? And it just came into me at the last moment. It was, how can you, if you're in a challenging situation and you, you know, in that moment, it might, it, it, it might feel like it's tricky to kind of do that kind of work, but what, what can you do in those moments where you're either getting triggered or you're in a difficult situation and, and, and a way of you kind of breaking that circuit? Mm. Yeah. Great question. Um, I recently watched a series on Netflix called call my agent. It's absolutely brilliant. If you've not seen it, absolutely brilliant. And there's a scene where there's a woman going in for an audition for an acting part and she's really mega stressed and all around. She's up here in fight flight. And the guy that's got her the audition comes in and says, hey, respire. It's all in French. Respire. And he goes, <sighs> and she starts to come down. And I shared this on my uh, Instagram story because I was saying, see, the breath is everywhere. And this is the pattern interruption again that, in those moments, and it's not always possible in the moment because we may be responding in fight flight depending on the level of anxiety, trauma, or what it is that we're responding to. But I know that, for example, if I'm in a situation where I, I'm, I'm finding something challenging or it's bringing up anxiety, that the more I often just place a hand on my heart and a hand on my belly. This is where the breath typically, you know, we, we're opening the breath into these places and placing a hand on my heart instantly connects me with my heart frequency anyway, which is thousands of times more potent than the electromagnetic field of the brain. And I just take a breath. It's simple. It's not anything fancy that people can't do or that they need training or skills skills in to do that it's just literally just okay I'm just going to take a moment here and go and take a few breaths you might have to extricate yourself from a room or a situation to go and take those breaths but just centering yourself in that present moment awareness um, and it sounds naff but actually it's the most powerful thing that we can do to keep bringing our awareness into what is happening in my system? Okay, I need to calm down for a moment. Little babies are great teachers in learning how to calm down for a moment. The number of times when I had to shut a door and let my baby cry because I knew that if I didn't put on my own oxygen mask first, <laughs> that I would be no good to my children. You know, I had to find my own center. I had to calm and ground myself or maybe ask for help. You know, it's about learning what we need. I can't deal with this right now. Please, can you help? And if we haven't got that help and we haven't got that support, how can we resource ourselves more and more? Well, that seems like a wonderful way to, to wrap up our conversation. Um, that's a great technique. Um, and I think it's completely, um, like you say, unless you're totally 
in the mind and you know it's it can be challenging to pull yourself but even if you do that after it and go okay but if you can do it then then wow mm. and like you say it's it's relatively simple and i think that just having that awareness just to touch your body because mm. when you're in your head you're not you've locked your body's gone yeah so just to place so your true. hand on it i often think about the heart as well how it's literally only pretty much the most powerful organ absolutely but one of the the one the only one that we can feel like mm. moving and um you know that's like so powerful that you know just to, like, you can't i can't feel my liver unless it's in pain um yeah. or my kidneys and again but your heart's just like yeah it's a great way to sense it well thank you steph i really enjoyed um this conversation really um i don't really know sometimes how these are going to unfold but i feel like we've had a really good chat yeah thank you rob it's been a real pleasure and i've enjoyed it too yeah what a great start to the day and i hope your listeners enjoy yeah I'm sure they will. Um, that's great. Thanks, thanks, Steph. That was um, just what I needed, and I could do with doing some more breaths. Um, I got triggered a few things this morning. A few work things, a few things come up. I'm like, oh no, I've got to sort. You know, you got to like sort these stuff out. I've got doing the podcast. You know, I've got these things. I've got a deadline tomorrow. Um, but it's like it's yeah. okay. It's all in hand. Take a breath. <laughs> Take a breath. I actually have this. This is I have this poster. Um, you can kind of just like take a breath you've got this oh i have post-its exactly the same all over my kitchen yeah. cupboards it's That's just brilliant. like it's just a, i just need i need reminders at times and uh, stick them on mirrors and different places and you know yeah. uh, the, the brenai brown stuff's quite good and my, my wife wrote on the big mirror in the bedroom like i am enough so every yeah. time you look at yourself it's like i am enough yeah um, I, I had that written on my mirror the same thing actually when I was in Manchester I got those um, Posca chalk pens and I wrote on some of the glass and the mirrors and things like that because the, and this is programming you know that's that's retraining our programming that's creating new thoughts that go in so by whatever means necessary yeah let's do it that was a wonderful conversation um I feel much lighter and grounded after that particular after that meditation um something that i needed you know we can all get swept up um in our emotions at times and, and get lost in those feelings and so to be able to have these techniques and practices that can allow us to sort of feel more into our body become more grounded more present is uh, much needed especially during these crazy insane times that we live in so if you enjoyed this podcast please share it with a friend um that would be great. Someone you think might be open to this information or just, you know, anyone that you, you know, anyway. Also, you can um, support this podcast as well, if you wish, on, uh, I've got my Patreon page. Um, for as little as the price of a cup of coffee each month, you can help to continue and support me in what I'm doing. And this in this episode, I'm supporting Positive News Magazine, um, which is a magazine for good journalism about good things. When the media is full of all so much doom and gloom, instead, Positive News is really the first media organization in the world that's dedicated to quality, independent reporting that's going on right now. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that's so needed. Um, and thankfully, I've got a connection now and build a partnership up with Positive News. So you're able to get 20% discount on subscriptions, which I think is amazing. Um, if you just use the, the term do good 20, um, when you check out, you'll receive a 20% discount. So there you go, guys. Um, I really hope you've enjoyed today's conversation. I found, um, and like all the conversations I have, I find them to be pretty empowering. Um, and sometimes ones go a bit deeper. And I think that's the case for me today. We're listening to Steph and what she has to say. So anyway, until next time, 
Have a good one. Mm-hmm.